Okay. Well, happy Lent. We are going to go through this little book. I have one extra if anybody needs an extra or if you want an extra. I gave a bunch out the donut at the uh, parlor donuts this week. The guys were like, this says it's for kids. I'm like, well. So this week we're going to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. And it is, it is really kind of fun how all this works. Um, so the way these are made, these are not the Bible, you guys. So we'll just establish that right now. There is a bunch of stuff where if you just had this, it would really under-explain a lot of things. And there's a whole lot of extra explanation that can go with each one of these. Some of these... Uh, have caused entire rifts, the great schism, uh, I mean, like huge church history problems, some of these questions. And if you just answered it with the answer they give you in this book, you wouldn't get anywhere. You wouldn't even know what side you were on. <laughs> so, uh, but I, just to encourage you, you can, you can read along with this book. You can get an app that's named the same thing. And you can look up on YouTube, you can search for any of these questions on YouTube, and you'll see the little orange and green and blue logo, and you can hear hour-long sermons from all kinds of great preachers on each one of these questions. If, if, you, if I surely do not cover one of these thoroughly, you can get volumes and volumes on any one of these questions to find out more. So, so the number one one is what is our only hope in life and in death and the short answer in here is that we are not our own but belong to God the longer answer is that we are not our own but belong body and soul both in life and death to God and our Savior Jesus Christ then they give you this little Bible verse with it Romans 14 verses 7 through 8 none of us lives to himself None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is kind of a trick. We are the Lord's if we are the Lord's. There there will be a day of judgment where every single person that ever lived will stand before God and be judged. And Jesus talks about this day, and he talks about whether he will know us or not. And so we are the Lord's, but he only takes us if we've taken him, if we have accepted him. Now that doesn't mean that in some little pocket of the earth where there are people who have never heard the gospel, and the gospel's never been preached there, that all of those people are going to hell. Because it also says in Romans... That God proclaims his nature through creation. And that those people will be judged by their consciences. Alright, so what does that mean? Alright, the really fun, that this, this whole area, I love to talk about it. It caused total disruption. Um, we were, my wife and I were applying for a, a ministry job. And they were trying to make sure we had our theology together. And we understood everything and that we were orthodox. And uh, they said, true or false? The only way for someone to be saved, I forget how they worded it, but basically it came down to this. 
and uh, I gave the wrong answer. That, oh, no, the question was, someone can enter heaven by following God's laws perfectly and being a good person. And I wrote, yes, they can. Because <laughs> that's how Je- it's what Jesus did. He's the only one that could ever do it. <laughs> but that's what he did. Well, that was the wrong answer. Um, so we got the phone call. And they were like, uh, you did great on everything, but one big thing. People can't get saved by their works. And I was like, well, Jesus, he obeyed the Father. He's in perfect relationship. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. You're talking about Jesus. I was like, yeah, I'm talking about Jesus. Nobody else has ever done it. Nobody ever will be able to do it. Only Jesus. And they're like, okay, you, you can do this then. <laughs> they let us in. There are all kinds of stories. Uh, I think I've told this one before. The guy was carving wooden idols. And he was making these handmade idols. Here comes Martha. Or Wilma. Um, he was making idols. And he realized that he made this by his hands. And he thought, this is ridiculous that I would pray to this thing that, that I made with my hands. And he gave up idolatry. He said, I'm no, I'm no longer going to worship anything that I can make. I am going to worship Whatever made my hands. Because something had to make that. And so that guy, uh, at the the anger of his tribe and of his friends and other people, they, they wanted him to worship idols. He wanted to worship whatever made his hands. And sure enough, like three weeks later, this missionary comes and says, I want to tell you about the God of creation, the God who created you. And he was like, did did this God create my hands? And he was like, yes. And so then the guy, so I think there's pockets of people like that, that are, I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says they'll be judged by their conscience, where they didn't give in to idolatry and just creation somehow testified to them. So whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. The flip side of that is you guys, If you believe that Jesus came and was the Son of God and lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, you have been adopted into God's family and you belong to God. You belong to God. So anything I could be afraid of, but I belong to God. Anything bad that could happen to me, but I belong to God. Any, anything that I could struggle with, every, any sin I could have, any beat down burden I carry, I belong to God. I'm His. Body and soul, life and death. Some of these, the order is really good. Number two, what is God? Okay, so if you belong to God, body and soul, life and death, and you're His, well, what is He that I belong to? What, what is that? You get the short answer in here. God is the creator of everyone and everything. A longer answer, he's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory. Unchangeable in his wisdom, justice and truth. 
And nothing happens except through him and by his will. So here we are on earth and we get big telescopes and we start to look really far. And then we get bigger telescopes and we look further. And if you don't think down in the deepest bit of your core, I belong to God. God, he is mine and I am his. It's very easy to think, gosh, as big as this whole place is, there must be other people in the universe. There must be other beings. There must be other creatures. Why would God make just us and just little old me? Why would God even care? Do you see how that's like a little bit of rebellion and a little bit of a slip? Because if I am God's and he is mine, like I'd, I don't ever think, gosh, I wonder if there would be a better husband for Cindy out there in the world. The world's so big, there's 8 mil, billion people. Surely there would be a better husband for her. That's terrible. That's awful. That's an awful thing to think. Because she's mine and I'm hers. So if you start with this basis of I'm God's and he's mine and I'm dear to him, all of a sudden you are pretty significant because God cares about you. It says in Revelation, he has a nickname for you that only you and he know. Like secret inside joke names. It says that in the book of Revelation. We're going to wear it on a name tag. I mean, it's all, it's, yeah. I don't know how that really plays out because it's a book of Revelation and it's weird, but the thought counts and that's pretty cool that I have a secret nickname, me and Jesus. He is huge and he is vast. He knows about every single thing. And nothing can happen that he doesn't know about it. But it doesn't mean that he likes everything that happens. And so you might wonder, well, then why in the world does he let anything happen that he doesn't like? And as you read Genesis, Genesis is a whole bunch of stuff that God doesn't like. And then you read Romans and you see God is, has given people over to evil and he's letting evil things happen just so he can show his mercy. Just so he can show his goodness. So they give you a little verse, and, and we could talk about who God is and his nature and his character. I mean, the whole Bible, right? But they, they go to Psalm 86. There is none like you among any gods, O Lord, nor there are there any works that are like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Whenever we read this whole thing, because we're going to get into some the Ten Commandments and all that business. Whenever you think about God, whenever you read something confusing in the scripture. Remember in I think it's Exodus 33, when God says his name. He says to Moses, I'm going to walk by you and I'm going to say what my name is. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful. Forgiving and full of steadfast love. 
That's how God identifies his name. If you run into me somewhere and you introduce me to somebody and I will say, hi, I am the preacher at Westminster. That's how I'm defining myself to that person that you introduced me to because with you, that's the context of who I am, right? So from then on in the rest of the conversation, you think I'm going to pay attention that I just identified myself as a preacher at Westminster? You bet I am. I'm going to act like that and be that. And I will probably not mention marketing and I will probably not mention HTML code and Google ads or any of that business. But if I ran into somebody and you weren't there and they know you and they and I was on my lunch break and they said, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, hi, my name's Dan. I work at Woods and Woods and I'm identifying myself as a marketing person for the rest of that conversation. I'm going to live up to that, right? I'm going to be that. So in God's first interaction with Moses to say what his name was, he said, I'm compassionate and I'm merciful and I'm forgiving. So from then on, God's going to act like the way he introduced himself. So, wow. Question number three. This one gets crazy. This is the one that causes schisms and all kinds of hysteria. And it made my brain hurt. Most of the time I tried to think about how to explain it. Question three. How many persons are there in God? The short answer, there are three persons in one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance and equal in power and glory. Okay, so I just said substance. Whenever you get to starting to talk about the Trinity, you start the, people start throwing out these words like persons and essence and being because it's really hard to explain and really hard to talk about. But it's super important that we present this as the right way and that we, we, we know it in a right way. All right, so I made a comment that I could introduce myself as a preacher at Westminster. I could introduce myself as a marketer for Woods and Woods. I could introduce myself as the darling husband of Cindy Sullivan, which somebody that has happened before. Are you Cindy Sullivan's husband? Because she's so famous. So to say that that is like the Trinity. I'm a web developer, I'm a marketer, I'm a preacher, I'm a husband. That's a bad example. That's a terrible example of the Trinity. So that one doesn't work. Because God, the triune God, is not just one person with three different names. So then another example that people like to use is the egg. And an egg, you have the shell, you have the albumen, that's the white part, and you have the yolk. And it's three parts, and it's one egg. That's a terrible example. Because the egg is an egg. And if you take away the shell, it's no longer an egg. Now it's a blob, and it can't do its thing. If you take away the, white, the albumen, now I don't even know what you have. But nobody wants to, I don't, I don't like the yolk. The yolk is nasty. I only eat it, yeah, it's not my favorite. 
So that's a terrible example. Because God is one in essence, one being, but in three persons. And when they say persons, they mean personalities. Which even is hard for us to grasp. Okay, so let's talk about the Trinity in a different way. Everything that's true about any part of the Trinity is true about the whole Trinity. So, Jesus, who is a man in the flesh, wasn't created, he always existed. Because God, the triune God, always existed. But God the Father, the, cre- the creator, oh see, we're already getting messed up, was not flesh and blood. And neither was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not flesh and blood. So suddenly you have this thing and, and you've, we, it's not here. I was trying to remember if it was here, but you got to get... You got to get like pre 1900s churches. And you might see this triangle. There'll be a triangle and it'll have curves on it. Or it'll be like three, like, a, like three front ends of a fish. There's these diagrams, and, and uh, I've seen people with tattoos of this diagram too, because it was an important part of the Protestant Reformation. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus, but they are one in being. Jesus is not the Father, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but they're one in essence. Do you see how this gets really hard and really confusing really fast? So why is this important? The important thing is, is that there are heresies that have come up over the years that if those were true, it negates big sections of the Bible. And it really messes stuff up. So for, for a while, there were some people that said that God appeared as a man, but he wasn't really a man. It was just a vision of a man. And that the moment that he died, it looked like he died, but he didn't really die because he wasn't really a man. And then when he rose from the dead, he just appeared the way he really was. Okay, well, so that doesn't work. Because the whole sacrificial system laid out in Leviticus requires the sacrifice to die. The, the, the prophecies that, that one would come that was a son of David has to be a descendant, has to be flesh and blood. Or he's not a son of David. He's not a descendant of David, right? He can't be born of a virgin if he's a spirit ghost creature that didn't really exist. Then he can't be born. So he wasn't just a spirit. Uh, He was a real man. He was a real flesh and blood. There's a bunch of things that work out like that. Um, There's an idea now that's been popular. This isn't the first time it's been popular. That Jesus was just a man. That he was a wise teacher and he's just so wise. And gosh, I really want to learn from Jesus because he's such a wise teacher. And yes, that's all true, but he's also fully God. But it says in Philippians 2, he gave up his God powers 
and became flesh and became obedient to the cross. So, without getting too much in the weeds and too much into a bunch of theological gobbledygook, I will tell you about the one day that I realized it's important that there's a trinity and the trinity's a thing. It was Christmas Day. It was December 25th, and I was in a foreign country that has no regard for Christmas. That has no recognition at all that Jesus was the Son of God. And I went to the bazaar, and I got potatoes, and I got onions, and I couldn't wish anybody Merry Christmas. It would just mean absolutely nothing. It would be like, flargle bargle. And they'd be like, what? Yeah, nothing. And it struck me that this culture did not believe that Jesus was also the Son of God. And how big a deal it is that God, who's all the stuff we talked about, maker of the universe, knows every single thing, would come and be Jesus and humble himself so completely to identify with us. He already knew what it was like to be a person because he knows everything. But we didn't have proof that he knew how to be a person. See, he didn't come for himself. He came for us to save us, to to show us his nature and his character. And so it really struck me that day how important it was that Jesus came in the flesh. And he was not God-man with all this power. He was weak little baby, completely helpless, didn't even know how to talk or walk. Did, I mean, nothing, right? The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, completely separate. There's times where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He doesn't say, I'm going to come in the form of a spirit. Pretty wild. He says, which my Father is sending. The helper, which my Father is sending. I have to go so that the spirit that my Father is sending will come. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul mentions all three parts of the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Pretty cool. Like if you think, okay, this is what each one of their mission is. The love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us right into the next question, which is number four. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. A longer answer. To know him, to love him, to live with him and to glorify him. It is right that we who are created by God should live for this glory. We were made out of dust. It's really wild. Reading through this thing, through Genesis, this thing, reading through Genesis, God created animals and he put his breath in them. God created man and woman and he put his breath into them. And so you're cruising along and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never eating chicken again. If we're all equal, yikes, God made us all the same. But then there's this one little bit that makes us different than animals. 
And it says, God made us in his image. And like I said, you could read volumes on this. You could spend all week and never sleep watching videos of people explaining it. But it takes us back to question one. You are made in the image of God. Whether that's how he looks, I don't think that's it. Because there's a whole bunch of different looking people all over the world. I think it's something deeper than just how we look. But you were made in God's image. That jerk face on the Lloyd that runs the red light and you get mad at him, he was made in God's image. The people on both sides of the Ukrainian conflict, every one of them made in God's image. Wow. So that affects how we're going to pray, right? That's the how. What about the why? God wasn't lonely. God didn't need us. He loves us. He wants to show off his glory and show off his mercy and show off his greatness. And so he needs an audience. And he not only needs an audience to see it, but he needs an audience to receive it. We were created for God's glory. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made every one of us. And man, the world really wants to mess up that whole verse and change it in all different ways and not even regard people and not even regard men and women. And uh, that's all the fall, right? It's just symptoms of the fall. It's not, anything to get, it's not anything to get worked up over because you can pick your symptom of the fall and get worked up over it and you won't solve the, the main problem, which is sin, right? What else did God create? Question number five. I think this is a funny question that this is even in here, but it's good to think about. God created all things and all his creation was very good. Do you know... Over and over, God created it, and it was good. It says that in Genesis, every day of creation, He made the, the sun and the moon, the light, the night, and it was good. He made animals, He made fish, He made plants. It was good. Do you know when it says that Adam was alone without Eve, it doesn't say that was bad. It says it was not good. There is no introduction of bad until the fall, until the rebellion. You can have things that are not good, but there's no mention of things being bad. And so this whole idea of, well, you have to know good to know what bad is. Guess what? That's Buddhism. That's a Buddhist teaching. <laughs> That's not... That's not from Genesis. You don't have to know bad to know what good is. Uh, a, better, a better thing to say is Romans 8, 28. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't deny that there are bad things. But it acknowledges that God uses everything. God can use every single thing for good. So he created everything, and it was good. It was very good. He liked all the stuff that he made. Hmm. 
Question number six, how can we glorify God? Wow, how can we glorify God? By loving Him and obeying His commands and law is what the short answer in here says. This is where we're going to start getting a little funny. Um, the quote, the scripture that they put with this is Deuteronomy 11.1. 1, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. The very next question is number seven. What does the law of God require? Because if we want to glorify, if God made all this stuff and we're his and we belong to him, right? Just build on these questions as we go. Gosh, I love him. How can I glorify him? And the answer they give is by obeying him. Number seven. Okay, how do I obey him? What does the law of God require? Question seven. That we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is great. That sounds good, right? The longer answer. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we always do what God wants and we never do what God forbids. And with that, we're all finished. Because I can't do that. I mean, anybody? We got any takers? <laughs> Nobody. We're hopeless. I mean, the whole, the whole first line was, what is our hope? That we're God's and we love him and we glorify him. And the way to glorify him is to obey his law. And none of us has done that perfectly. It says in James that if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. Just, just forget about it. And that is really discouraging. And this is where you start to see we need to be saved. We needed Jesus. We needed Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins. That is our only hope. Our only hope is that Jesus would come for us. Because we're not going to go for him. We're just not. Matthew 22 verses 37 says, Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. So, I borrow my friend's truck. And he says, you can use it. I'm going to fill the whole back of the truck with horse manure. He says, I don't even care. If you fill it, you don't even have to wash it. But you can't drive it over 40 miles an hour. Like, okay, thanks. Whatever. I'm out there and I'm cruising along. It takes a while to get up to 35. I'm going down 41. It takes a while to get up to 37. It's fine. The thing is just horrible at 40. Like it hits, it's not, you're not allowed to drive it at 40. It's that you are physically incapable of going 40 miles an hour in this truck. It's just not going to happen. It can't be done. Even though I tried, because I had a long ways to go down Highway 41. And it's like going to fall apart and blow up all this. I slowed down. I didn't slow down because he told me not to go 40. I slowed down because I love my friend and I did not want to destroy his truck. 
and because I love my family and I didn't want to tell them, hey, we got to go buy a new truck, but it's not ours and we got to buy it for him because I destroyed it. And I think it's really good that they put this verse in here at this point. Because you're not going to glorify God by following and obeying any laws. Because you're not going to do it successfully. But God who wants to know you and wants to be close to you and wants to have a relationship with you, wants to love you and be loved by you, as we love him, we're going to obey his law of love. We're going to obey those rules. We're going to, we're going to obey his precepts and, and the things that he wants. God loves us so much. He loves me so much and he wants me to glorify him in my life. And so I'm not going to go steal hubcaps. Because I think about, oh man, I want to steal that hubcap. That would be really nice. But I really love God and God provides everything I need. I don't need that hubcap. And so instead of walking around like, I'm not going to steal a hubcap, I'm not going to steal a hubcap, I'm not going to steal a hubcap, I'm not going to steal a hubcap. Instead, I'm thinking about how much I love God. And the hubcap's not even a thing. It's not even a, an issue here. I think it's great that Jesus said that that way, that that's the greatest commandment. Because he knew, because he came and he lived and he was tempted in every way that man was tempted, but he did not sin. He knew that we could not do it. He knew that we could not follow the law. So we're going to talk about this more, but we got to talk about questions 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. And guess what? 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 all cover the same thing. They just break it up. You get an introduction in 8, and then 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 are the overview and the summary and the get in to help you memorize it. And it's all the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments just crack me up. The way our culture deals with them, the way the culture, the culture loves the Ten Commandments. So I'm just going to read the Ten Commandments. As we, the, do you know different denominations have different of the Ten Commandments? Did you know that? Because it's all taken from this section in Deuteronomy where God says these things and they're beautiful and they're good and they're right because God said them. And then people took them and started to make them into something that they were never meant to be. So let's start this with basically 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Those questions. Question 8 is, what are the Ten Commandments? Question 9 is, what are the, the first three commandments? Question 10 is, what are the next commandments? 11, what are the next commandments? And question 12 is, what are the last two commandments? What do they mean? So that's why we're going to cover 8 through 12 all at once. Okay, so here's the Ten Commandments. As listed by uh, non-denominational, evangelical, maybe neo-Calvinist a little bit, church. Number 1, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is also don't take the name of God in vain or don't use the name of the Lord God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony. And number ten, you shall not covet. So, in current culture, we spend a lot of time teaching kids these Ten Commandments. Because they're easy to remember. They're good rules. They're good things to live by. When Jesus came and He preached the Sermon on the Mount, He brought each one of these into the reality that we need. It's not a matter of, you shall not murder. Because if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already committed murder. Wait, I thought it was okay to hate somebody as long as I didn't actually kill them. And Jesus says, no. Don't even hate them. There were numerous times that Jesus broke the Sabbath regulations. And the Pharisees said, you're not honoring the Sabbath. And he says, the Sabbath was made for people. Not people, people weren't made and designed for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for something for us to do, not something to rule over us like a tyrant. What's really awesome is that, remember that the Ten Commandments, they're taken from Exodus 20. The verse right before the commandment of uh, have no other gods before me. Remember how I said, you know, I didn't drive 40 in my friend's truck because I loved my friend and I did not want to destroy his truck. It wasn't because of law. Because a law is not going to work. As soon as you give me the law, I'm like, oh, I bet it can go over 40, right? Extrapolate that to any law that God would give. You shouldn't do this. Well, I mean, I can do I mean, that's not really what he meant, right? This is Adam and Eve. Did God really say, don't do that? I mean, I can fudge on it a little bit, can I? Before the Ten Commandments, God reminds Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord your God. And I free you from so many things. I have freed you from death and hell. I have freed you from 400 years of slavery, Moses. That's the only commandment we need. If Moses could look at God and be like, man, God freed me. I don't even want to make an idol. God freed me and I keep my eyes on him and I'm looking to him. I don't even want to covet. I mean, anything you have, I don't care if you have it because I want God who delivered me from slavery who brought me out of Egypt. That's all I want. Just think think of how that sums up all the law. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Honor your father and your mother. We throw this one at our kids all the time. No, we don't. If I love God and I'm seeking after Him, then I'm going to be a good father that's worth honoring. So my kids, in their act of loving God and focusing on God, are going to honor their father and their mother, right? 
It's really easy to see where if a father and a mother aren't honoring God and I want to honor God, there's a moment where Jesus would say, leave your father and your mother and follow me. But wait, doesn't that go against this commandment right here? Well, it's because this commandment was given to explain what it looks like to just remember God. He's the God who brought me out of slavery. He's the God who rescued me. So I propose that we not hold on so tight to the Ten Commandments. Because if you're outside the church and you don't understand God and you don't know God and your introduction to God is, don't covet. Don't covet. Don't, don't want what somebody else has. But every time I've ever been to a church, they've asked to give me money. For me to give them money. Doesn't that sound like coveting? Don't have any idols. Don't build anything. Don't build anything and worship it. Everything that's created is created by God. It's not God. So we can give up anything. We can't... Oh, gosh. Okay, I could go on, but I won't. Seek the Holy Spirit to see where this stuff resonates. Because here's what Paul said in Romans 8. First of all, we've all broken those. And if you haven't ever murdered somebody, by Moses' standard, you have by Jesus' standard. If you've hated somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. If you've looked at a lady the way you shouldn't have, you've committed adultery. If you've wanted something that you didn't have... Oh my gosh, American culture. I'm, I'm an advertiser and a marketer, right? I make my living on coveting. What? Gosh. I mean, hope not. I hope it, I'm not advertising that way. I wouldn't work for a company that did. But the whole Sunday paper is just coveting. It's just trying to make us covet and want what we don't have. But Paul says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have broken the Ten Commandments and you deserve hell. But Jesus took it for you. And so there is no condemnation. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We talked about this in Galatians, right? The Ten Commandments don't count against you anymore. They count against Jesus. And I don't want to heap more on Jesus than I already have. So I'm not going to go out and covet and make idols. But by golly, when I mess up, I'm not condemned. There's no condemnation. It's all Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law, do not murder, couldn't keep me from murdering. The advice and the commandment from my buddy, don't drive over 40, couldn't keep me from driving over 40. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
The life we live now, we live by the Holy Spirit guiding us and helping us and directing us. This is the way we are living the way Adam should have lived. And when we don't, and when we steal that hubcap, Jesus paid for that so that we can go on continuing And that's not going to slow us down. It's not going to stop us. It's not going to condemn us. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Do you remember the line just before the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of slavery. Moses, set your mind on this, on who I am. Set your mind on God, on who He is and what He has done for you, and you will not have a desire to sin. All right, one last thing. Okay, so why do I still sin? That's great, Dan. Whenever I'm tempted to sin, I'm just going to I'm just going to think about Jesus. Jesus, 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 and I'm going to walk over and I'm going to pick up that hubcap off of that car. Jesus, Jesus, I'm thinking about Jesus. Ah, I just stole the hubcap again. And that is deep and that is huge and it takes a long time to heal. But the Holy Spirit wants to heal whatever habit you developed in your flesh that makes you think you get fulfillment in life and you get everything that you want from that hubcap. Jesus wants to, you to know what that is. He wants to train you and teach you and show you by His Holy Spirit. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't walk through the parking lot. The doctor's parking lot at, 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 at St. Mary's when I was a kid, me and my babysitter would walk through the doctor's parking lot at St. Mary's and see all the coolest cars you ever saw in your life. And it was better than a car dealership because they were all different kinds of cars. And they were like, wow, covet central, baby. That really happened. Speaking metaphorically, if I learn in my life, whenever I walk through that place that I want to steal hubcaps, the Holy Spirit might be saying, maybe you need to stay out of that parking lot. And maybe you need to replace that need in your soul with some scripture that says a hubcap doesn't satisfy you. You belong to God. You belong to God. Everything you are is from Him and to Him and for Him. And so then slowly, and it might be, I might really mean slowly, like decades, the desire for that hubcap goes away and it's replaced with the truth That I belong to God, and I am His, and He is mine, and He loves me a lot, just as I am. He does not respect me more whether I have a hubcap or not. Hubcap's nothing to Him. He made me just to be in fellowship with Him. All right, very good. Um, Read ahead. I forgot my little postcard of what we're doing next. What's next week? 13 through 20. So as you look through, you can read through those and look at them and think about them and pray over them this week. And, um, and we will continue. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are so good and so holy and so righteous that you would give us a law to show how holy you are. 
and to show our great need for a Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would free us more and more every day from the laws that we make up, from the laws that we put on ourselves and others, and that instead we would set our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we would always see you in every temptation, that we would always see you in every fear and in every need, and that we would run after you appropriately. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.